Fargo Season 2, Episode 3, The Myth of Sisyphus is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and here's the guy who told me how to pronounce Sisyphus before we started, Antonio Mazzaro. A-plus work, Josh. A-plus work. Did I do well? Did you, I do well? Yeah, you got the myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Yeah, you got it. Sisyphus, yes. Sisyphus. And here, and here comes a guy who is driving straight into this tree of a podcast, but is actually slitting on black eyes and backing up into my face. It's Jeremiah Panors. What is up? How are yeah. we doing? Yeah, that's a, a smooth move you've got there. I tell you, I've gone full of them. But I tell you what, today I've had myself a high noon kind of day. What about you guys? Oh, yeah. Every day is a high noon day over here. Really? Wow. I'm always, a, always guns, guns blazing. You always a just after four o'clock kind of guy. You're you're a high four p.m. <laughs> well, we have four twenty somewhere. Oh, no, stop! That's, you said high. I wasn't going to say it I, until you. You said did that. say it. You just said it. <laughs> well, yeah, but anyway. you said high first. Anyway, Antonio is going there. Let's go into Fargo. Let's get into Fargo episode three of season two. We are pushing on. Things are getting really interesting this week, gentlemen. What did we think of Fargo this week? I'll start with you, Jeremiah. What did you think of episode three? I thought it was another really good, solid episode. I mean, there's these moments that we keep building up, as we talked about last week. So I think there's a lot of repeated stuff that we had from the previous episode. But overall, there still was some really great scenes. Uh, obviously, we had a few more showdowns. I mean, this this Lou, I tell you what, he's got balls the size of Texas. I mean, it's crazy wow. how he just looks down the face's death. And uh, is that he why does, he's, he's limping? Not even in remotely the future? scared, huh? Is, is that why he's limping in the present day? Well, that could be balls. balls the size <laughs> just, of Texas. They're so big, yeah. That's yeah. probably what it is. I thought it, I thought it was another pretty pretty solid episode myself. What did you think, Antonio? Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, Josh and I have been talking about this because we both kind of, as we mentioned on our season introduction podcast, we binge watched our way through that first season. And the show plays a lot differently when you're watching it week to week. It's a much slower burn, uh, and yeah. so it's interesting to see kind of. The things that I think uh, I'm, you know, talking about my famous flags that I that I like to plant. I'm a flag planter, uh, and I definitely saw some flags to plant this episode. Uh, so I like that. I feel that we're at the part of the season now, right at the beginning, the first three episodes, where they're really introducing some character traits that I think are going to bear some great fruit uh, later in the in the season. And I think we're seeing a lot, for example, from Peggy, uh, especially some really great character traits that I think are going to play out over the rest of the season. It's a little slower, uh, and but you've still got these great Fargo-esque deaths that are happening. Uh, you've still got great stuff from Mike Milligan. Uh, as you said, Jeremiah, great stuff from Patrick yeah. Wilson as Lou. So uh, the, the, the state of our union is strong, Fargo-wise. Absolutely. All right. And speaking of the state of our union on Fargo, we have a Fargo podcast feed here on Post Show Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Fargo iTunes. You won't miss an episode. And if you just want to hear what we're doing here on Post Show Recaps, we've got a lot going on. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Let's carve this thing up. Let's carve this thing up like a bunny rabbit. We start the episode off with Hansi Dent in the woods having a flashback to him in school seeing a magician in his classroom pulling rabbits out of hats and it's a very fun whimsical thing and in the present day Hansi Dent is going to be hunting down a rabbit and eating the rabbit's heart what does this mean what are we what are we thinking about this Antonio well that's interesting it was definitely a flashback to the Indian reservation kind of upbringing of Hansi Dent and that uh, I think is sort of uh, kind of in a, a, a crazy way to look at this because you had a classroom full of Native American children and then the white man was coming in pulling a rabbit out of a hat. And that's yeah. the use that that guy's got for that rabbit is it's magic to him. It belongs in a hat. 
Whereas Hansi Dent is coming out of the woods, carrying that rabbit with him. Later we yeah, this see rabbit. Him. This rabbit belongs in my belly. Yep, we see him gutting it and literally eating its heart. I think. Yeah. yeah. This this rabbit's heart belongs in my mouth. So it, even though it was only like a 15 second little flashback scene there, I thought it did really well to establish uh, sort of the differences between uh, what Hansi Dent kind of knows or believes is true and the things he brings to the world and maybe what was forced upon him in his school uh, with a magician coming in and say, look, a rabbit just comes right out of a hat. Yeah, no, it's cool. I like that. I th- I thought that it was a good setup for this character. You know, I think that Fargo loves to do this. They have these introductions that kind of set up these characters that we're just starting to get to know, people who've been in the background a little bit. You know, we've seen, you know, like with the numbers and wrench thing from season one. So I like that this guy is coming into the into the forefront a little bit. What did you make of this, Jeremiah? Yeah, no, that's exactly my point, too, is that with this whole thing is that that's what's great about Fargo and stretching this out with the 10 episodes that we, we get with the, the kind of episodes. These are the parts that are really important to us is be able to get an inside look into these characters and really build up this character development as we go along. So we really have an idea where these guys stand, because uh, obviously most of these people probably won't make it out alive. <laughs> so it's going to yeah, be many of them, at least. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important that we get to see this. And I, I thought that that whole scene was great, too. It was a little odd, though, because at first, was it just me? It seemed like he was almost like he was petting the rabbit before he snapped its neck. Yeah, Did you yeah, notice that? He was, he was. And I think that I think it's interesting because in the flashback, of course, the other kids seem enthralled by this magician. And Hansi seems kind of nonplussed. Mm, he seems no, thoroughly he, nonplussed. And then, you know, he's got the rabbit. He is kind of petting it, paying it respect, I think, and understanding. I mean, all of these things, it's really kind of silly for me as – I mean, I have a little bit of Native American blood, but not nearly enough. Is to that make true? It, yeah, like really? one-sixteenth Cherokees. One-sixteenth is nothing, though. I mean, it's not like I grew up tracking things or living in a forest. You're no Johnny Depp is what you're trying to mm. No, well, that, there's a, that's really well, the only difference. Is? That's really the only difference, though, between Johnny Depp and I. Uh, he is also from Kentucky. Uh, but other than that, yeah, we're basically the same person. No, between Well, the, of course. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because, I, I mean, I'm not going to foist my cultural whatever on, on this scene, but it's... It is interesting to say, you're right, Jeremiah, he's treating the rabbit with reverence and respect. And even though he's mm-hmm. going to kill it and eat its heart, like that whole sequence is to show, I think he's he's got a different uh, worldview, even maybe than the Gerhardt's. Uh, we'll, I think we're going to see a lot more of this character and we're going to see how that plays out. Wouldn't surprise me entirely to see him kind of turn against the family or, yeah. or you know, be in play for himself because he doesn't respect what they're doing because he seems to be a man with a, a, a true code about the way he sees the world. And I think more than anything, that little beginning scene does establish that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, thinking about that scene, if you juxtapose it to, to him as a child and he's looking at this guy, he's looking at this white man in his school pulling a rabbit out of a hat, doing it as a magic trick, uh, and you see him, you know, he's not causing a ruckus in the school or anything you know he's not really clapping along or being super happy about what's going on but he's playing along with it uh and then we see him in this private moment we see what his use of the rabbit is we see how he views the rabbit he, we see how he views the world and it could be very counter to the way the gerharts run things he could be looking at the situation very differently and he might just be nodding along and playing along and being cool with this operation and he might have his own rabbit up his sleeve. you know he might have his own tricks in his hat right just like he wasn't impressed with the magician he probably isn't very, maybe he's not very impressed with this family so <laughs> who is more impressed with dodd gerhardt hansi dent or antonio mazzaro 
Oh, wow. That's I'm thoroughly unimpressed with Dodd Gerhardt. I, I mean, I, I hate him even more after this week. I, really? Yeah. yeah, what a jerk. Well, let's get into it because this next scene, we see everyone, we've seen Floyd is gathering uh, some of the Gerhardt loyalists and Bear is there and Dodd shows up and it's this big family meeting about what are we going to do about Kansas City? And it basically amounts to these guys who have paid their respects and, you know, Bear is thanking them for the cards and Dodd's like, cards? Uh, and, you know, this is a guy, Dodd is a guy who wants to go to war. He's, you know, he's thirsting for blood. He's ready to do this. He wants to protect the family. He wants the business to be theirs. Floyd is trying to be a little bit more pragmatic, but she's trying to recruit these guys. In case we need you, are you with us? And they say, we won't make the first move, but if Kansas comes after us, uh, if they if they make a move on you, we will cut the nose off their face. Uh, Dodd seems to be psyched about that line. There's a, there is a shot on Dodd that makes it seem like he is really all about it. Yeah, he is so reckless. I could totally see him doing something to set it up to make sure this war happens. Like, even if KC doesn't make the first move, he's going to make sure that KC makes first move. You know what I mean? He's going to do something crazy because this guy is a lunatic, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and I think think this scene's very interesting because while he's a lunatic, I think Bear is – there's that great line from Gene Smart about how, like, we're small time, let's admit it. And Bear Mm -hmm. says, know thyself, and Dodd's like, what is that from? Yeah, yeah, know thyself. From the Bible, you know, and (laughs) Bear's the The one that says thank you for the cards and letters. I I think the dichotomy is being drawn very clearly between Bear and – and it's funny because – I guess at just at a glance, Bear looks like this kind of dumb, hulking, uh, hairy kind of bad guy. He just seems like he would be the halfwit of the family. Right. Uh, and he actually seems like he's got a little bit of wisdom and that he is the one who is proceeding with the sort of caution that is due under the circumstances. And Dodd is the one who's going nuts. Dodd's the one flicking his cigar at people and just <laughs> literally killing people. And Bear is pr- proceeding in a much different fashion. And I'm definitely Team Bear. Team Bear. Uh, <laughs> make you Team Floyd. Makes me yeah, Team Floyd. I'm, I'm a Team Bear. Man, this guy, have you ever noticed he's, I think he seems like he's eating in almost every scene, too. Yeah. He's oh, a yeah. very hungry bear. Yeah. He's a big bear. He's a big bear. <laughs> a very hungry, hungry bear. <laughs> he's a very hungry bear. <laughs> he's always a picnic. <laughs> yes. We can, we can talk more about that later. There's that great scene when he's just gesticulating wildly with that chicken leg Tur- or whatever. Yeah, turkey a, leg. I think it's a turkey leg. I think leg. it's it a turkey a leg. Guy. It's a big old leg. That's yeah, a renaissance. That's the kind you get in, what, in a carnival or an amusement park, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Paying $10 for it. Yeah. yeah, I think Bear was at the Ren Fair and he picked up a turkey leg and he brought it home. He brought leftovers. He's probably got a bucket of the thing. Isn't there a song about that, Josh? The Bear and the Renaissance Fair? The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I, I misunderstood. Uh, but it does It does seem like Dodd is, when he hears this from, from these guys saying, we're not going to make the first move, but if Kansas City comes at you shooting, we'll cut the nose off their face. And Dodd just has this look on his face of like, well, I'm processing that. I'm filing that away for later. I'm mm-hmm. thinking that Dodd is going to take shots at his own people in mm-hmm. order to facilitate this thing. Right. That's what I'm thinking too. We'll see exactly how this plays out, but he wants his own, he wants his, his goal is to generate this, this thing. From, you know, he wants a fight. He really is ginned up for a fight and it's so self-destructive. I don't understand. Like, does he not think they're small time? Does he have a death wish? Like what's wrong with this guy? Proud. He's a proud guy. I mean, there's an interesting line in the episode and we're skipping around a little bit, but it's when, um, when Ben Schmidt is giving Lou the rundown on the Gerhards and he talks about, uh, Otto Gerhardt's father and, and how when he got 19 bullets to the face or whatever he got, that was the end of World War One. That was the good news. But mm-hmm. then Oto steps up 
and it's like, hello, Adolf Hitler. Now he's sidelined. So what does that make Dodd Gerhardt? You know, what is the successor to Adolf Hitler? What is what is World War Three look like? And I think that that's the question that the show is asking. Right. I was kind of getting this feeling, too, that maybe uh, Dodd is a Dodd's a lot more like his father than anything. Because it sounds like his father was a pretty ruthless person if he's being if he's being described as as a, as a Hitler. So right. Did so you yeah, guys I, think that that? Did you guys there. think that that scene was was a little bit of a potential tease for Fargo season three? Oh, in in oh, what way? In going yeah. even further back yeah. to the time? I just I, I swear we're gonna. This is gonna the the Fargo season fifteen is gonna be the American Revolution. Like I just think <laughs> we're gonna keep dialing it back. I really like this idea. So um, so we're gonna get to see Otto's father get shot in the face. I think we could. Times? I think we could see fa- the rise right. of the villains. Like I really think we could see the the genesis of the Gerhardt family, yeah. especially Otto Gerhardt. Like I just see that with Dieter Gerhardt kind of being a character who's been now mentioned you know a couple of times in this season uh we had floyd kind of talking about Dieter started you don't even understand when she's got that that last episode when she's giving the talk to dodd and when she says you're going to eat with me and tells him about the history of the family now we get another mention of the this is exactly how the sioux falls thing came up mm-hmm. no uh, you're absolutely in the right. first season so i i'm, I'm just that's what I said. Planning a well, flag, Fargo season well, three. Uh, let's 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 let season two happen. I understand. First. I understand. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's 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 let season two do well first. I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't believe that it's being tremendously watched right now. Uh, so let's 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 knock on wood for a season three uh, okay. before before we call before we call the shot. I mean, I would watch it. That that sounds fun. That sounds good. More more Gerhards. I don't know. If if we keep riding the Dodd Gerhardt train, I don't know that we're gonna want to see too many more Gerhards in uh, in Fargo. Well, I. Feel I feel like God is like example that the bloodline may have needed a little bit more mixing. Like I think yeah. that he just seems like the product of a of incest almost. Like he's just so close minded and angry and proud and all of these negative attributes that for some reason Bear doesn't have. And I don't know if it's because Dodd was the first son or we just haven't seen them play out with Bear. Uh, but it's interesting. And we we saw Rye was very eager to get his shot. And he also went off half cock in this season. So I don't know where we're going with the Gerhards, but it, it is interesting that it's all really coming apart right as we meet them here. Yeah. They're like full Lannister. Yep. Yeah. You never go full Lannister. Never go full L. Never go full L. Uh, all right. We go to, we go to the Pearl hotel in Fargo where Joe Bulo, he's having breakfast and he's talking about his new shampoo. Uh, <laughs> we had, we had a funny question on posterrecaps.com. Lance Davis asked if Antonio has ever run his fingers through my hair <laughs> due to soft water and shampoo issues. I think we could we can confirm that if Rob Cesarino was here, I think he'd ring the bell. Yeah, yeah but the thing is, it wasn't because of shampoo issues. What was it because of? I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an open invitation. If you guys ever see me, you can just go straight in there. Yeah, yeah. you're a you're a hugger, and I'm a hair rubber. That's your that's your that's, that's, that's thing, your that's deal. That's my jam. That's your deal. All, yeah. All I know is that. Is Antonio, you have an amazing beard, and I think what we're hearing is, Josh, you have an amazing head of hair. It's not bad. It's full. I was impressed when I saw your hair. It was, it was I had to control myself from not putting my hands to it, so. It no, didn't even it look worked. real to me. It looked like a wiggler. Yeah, yeah, well, stop. This Stop. I disagree with that shampoo joke. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> this is a good question, though. Do you guys bring your own shampoo with you when you travel? I should. I don't. I really? only bring regular poo. I don't deal with that sham stuff. Stop. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to dad joke my way out well, of this podcast. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here and say that I do travel with my own shampoo. I I'm not judging you. If if I, if I'm judging you, I'm thinking I'm thinking high highly of you. I'm thinking higher of you. I think that <laughs> most people should do that, and I just don't. I'm too here, lazy to do thing, it. Here's the thing, Josh. I'm I'm pushing forty here, buddy, and I'm just happy I've still got hair in my head. So if I find something that's working for me, I'm not going to take any risks. Yeah, of you have something. If you have agreeable shampoo. You're sticking yeah, with it. exactly. Yeah. I I can't afford to lose any more than I already have. I understand that. I'm offended okay. too. But what do you, what's, what do we make of Brad Garrett doing this? Is he just, I don't know. <laughs> what's interesting to me about this is that this character, he's an odd character. <laughs> he's, he's often not seen with his Kansas City crew. So what right. is he up to while, while Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers are kind of wandering around these towns? Where is, where's this guy in all of this? Yeah, I think good question. I think he's in the shower. I think he's shampooing. I think he's having his continental breakfast. I think he's reading his newspaper. I think he's chilling out in his hotel room. I think that this guy is Mr. Manager, and I think that Mike Milligan is assistant to the manager, and I think Mr. Manager delegates. I don't think Mr. Manager rolls up his sleeve. There's a real casualness in the way that he talks about what to do about the Gerhards. It's like, well, if you know, if the, if the market tells us to kill him, we'll kill him. If the market tells us to offer them more, we'll offer them more. We'll see what it says. That doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who goes in shooting that doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that goes around looking for skip spring uh or looking for rye gerhardt himself he sends a mike milligan he sends the the bathroom brothers or whatever you want to call those guys (laughs) he's you know he delegates he's a delegator he he sits on the throne probably not the iron throne but the porcelain one and he tells mike milligan what to do this is not a guy who rolls up his sleeves unless he is you know making himself look pretty in the mirror i think that's the kind of guy that joe bulo is and i think that that's why we're not seeing him so are you tracking any dissension or disagreement between the two of them because we did have the conversation about what do we do and milligan was saying there's the lobster claw and there's the pin or the lobster has the crusher claw and the pincher claw right right and then right. Brad, you know joe bulo is correcting him and saying well it doesn't matter which one's which i'm not going to even care about your metaphor we're just going to do it this way and we'll see what happens and so bulo does seem to be the boss but Milligan is a very smooth guy, uh, and he definitely smooth hair. He's definitely doing yeah. all the work. So if he's doing all the legwork and he's putting all the things together, and he has his own ideas about the way to do things, I don't know. It's just an interesting kind of relationship. The the Kitchen Brothers don't seem to be Joe Bulo's muscle. They seem to be Milligan's muscle, and uh, I don't know if they're all loyal to the same organization. Nominally, they probably all work for the same organization, but where their loyalties lie and and if they're for sale or if they're malleable or if people will freelance. I mean, we saw a ton of Lorne Malvo freelancing in the first season of Fargo. Yeah. So I think that we we could see some Mike Milligan going off the res a little bit. Uh, I just – I think that that potential is there because he and Brad Garrett and that – weird scene between them at the diner that we're talking about here with the hair rubbing. I just, I, I mean, I think that when we're talking about the pace of the season, I think that we're supposed to see that there's an interesting dynamic between the two of these guys. And maybe it's manager and assistant to the manager, or maybe it's something more. They ha- oh, boy, It's funny is that you mentioned, because everyone, it seems like from this whole Casey mob group has this eerie calmness to the way they deal with things. It's just, it's really crazy how they just, it's almost like you know they're they're involved in this massive you know trying to t- do this massive takeover and you know the lives are in danger i mean this is dangerous stuff these guys are doing but yet it's very calm like you know like like you know like it's no big deal to them which i mean i i guess at this point in their careers i mean they've done this long enough that they probably are used to it but it just has this eerie calmness to them about about what their their business and how they do it so the the 
they're both fantastic characters. I'm absolutely loving any time that uh, anyone from the KC group is on my screen. I'm really, really happy. Yeah, Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers are great. They're yep. really good. Oh, and yeah. I and I really do like this idea of maybe Mike is feeling not so great about Joe Bula. But we just don't know. Mike is a really tough nut to crack right now. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to get inside his head. He you know, it seems sometimes like he's telling it like it is, but you don't know how much those words are just like dolled up. You don't know how much of it is, you know, really just kind of dressing for something underneath. Um but he's he's got away with with language as we talked about last week and this week was no different um we move away from the pearl hotel lou salverson he's going to be headed up to fargo he finds out over the radio from hank that the prints on the murder weapon belong to rye gerhardt that's going to take us down the road of some really fun stuff in this episode lou salverson in fargo uh vas Aparish don't think so antonio <laughs> uh i think that's really funny I, this is all very interesting um stuff because we we saw Lou kind of in we know more we know way more about Lou from season one of Fargo. We've seen him a little bit through these first couple of episodes, but this is clearly Lou's coming out party in this episode. So I mean, we we the Lou we know from Fargo season one is a very cool customer. He is the kind of guy who seems laid back about everything, uh, and you rec- you expect that he would have been a very good police officer. But we really haven't seen so much of that uh, throughout those this, these first couple of episodes and so to see how it all begins to unfurl uh starting with this kind of call and how that's all playing out with oh now we're going to get right in with the gearhards uh lose lose up for it from the beginning and i think that that is says a lot about lou for sure especially because the other guy is not ben schmidt uh who <laughs> we know also ben schmidt uh by the yeah. way i don't know if you guys picked up on that from season one he's yeah, Gus's that's, boss that's correct oh that's right yeah, yeah. he's a real pr- <laughs> yeah. And if wow, you remember I right in season one, if you remember right in season one, Lou didn't have a lot of good things to say about Ben. And then I think that we could tell right away from this first episode, I can totally see why. Well, there's a great, that great exchange from season one between Lou and Gus, where Lou basically says, uh, do you know Ben Schmidt? I think he might be a lieutenant. And then Gus is like, yep, he's my boss. And then Lou's like kind of a prick. And then yep. Gus is like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> so, yeah, and he's the one who you always you see the famous scene in the bathroom, and he tells him that he's going to look through every mugshot in the state and find out who Lauren Malvo is. Uh, and right. he's so pissed off about everything that happened with Gus. Yeah, same guy, same guy. That's great. I didn't realize that. What I was too focused on was the fact that this is put. This character is played by Kira O'Donnell, who is Claire Littleton's baby daddy uh, oh. in, from from Lost. Oh yes. wow! Yeah, that's season one, season one of that. Lost. Wow, uh, Thomas. Wow, that's him. He's also uh, cousin Todd from Wedding Crash. Wow, oh, okay. He made, yeah. paint, he made a painting <gasps> for you. Oh my God, that's right. That's so where that's, I remember. So that's that's who this guy is. That's yeah. who I remember so, him from. Now. Yeah. So instantly, you know that this guy's no good. Even yeah. if even if you don't remember that he's a bit of a prick from season one, just on sight that this guy is a bit of a schmohawk, and you get it in this episode too. Again, you don't need to see season one to get that this guy is just a weenus. Right. When we yeah. see him at the Gerhardt compound and he's just like ah, hi we gotta talk to you about a deal uh, <laughs> and just the, the complete fear that he shows even in conversation with Lou when he's talking about the Gerhards and he's filling him in on what to expect uh, and when Lou says oh you kind of look surprised to hear the name Rye Gerhardt and Ben Schmidt says well 
I'm not saying your life would be easier if it was your own <laughs> prints on the gun, but that's along the likes of what you should be thinking. And that's absolutely not the way that Lou sees the situation as we yeah. see in the episode. This is not a guy who looks at anybody as um, invincible or unbeatable. And Antonio, maybe you could speak to this a little bit more, but I think that this is where the title of the episode comes in a little bit is sort of lose resolve in the face of overwhelming odds. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, I mean, obviously you can tie that into what we, what we've seen of Lou throughout his wife is dying of cancer. He's keeping just kind of a, a cool smile about it. Uh, he's really pushing up the hill. The Sisyphus story from Greek myth uh, is just about this really crafty kind of guy uh, who was punished uh, for his craftiness and forced to essentially push a rock up a hill uh, for eternity. Uh, and it's always falling back and he always has to push it back up the hill. So, I mean, there's been a lot of writing and reading about this throughout throughout the kind of since the myth originated. One of the most famous ones, which I believe the girl at the butcher shop is actually reading. I noticed the title in episode two, and I noticed that she's reading the same book in this episode. And that's uh, kind of like a, an essay by Albert Camus, the sort of uh, French, famous French writer who was very kind of nihilist and existential and had a very kind of cynical, or not necessarily cynical, but perhaps a dark view of the world in a lot of writing. Uh, and that, that essay is really just about that example um, that the, you know, in, in his basic view is that the only way you're going to ever get through life uh, is if you treat it as, as though it's absurd, that, you know, you have to just go for it. You have to, um, whether the task is futile or over and over again, you just have to embrace it and, and go for it. And that's the struggle. And the struggle is enough. And, and that's kind of where we are with Lou is Lou's struggling. Like his wife is dying. He's got a kid. He's got a very complicated case. It's about to get very dark. And his role in this episode is just to embrace it, even though it's against all odds, even though it might be pushing a boulder up a hill, knowing that it's going to roll back down again, he's going to do it. And he's a police officer, damn it. And that is exactly how he's going to act. And I love that. I love this. I love this character of Lou. We got the sense of that, like I said, with the first season, but really seeing it blossom here and, and watching Patrick Wilson work is, is, is great. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but that's that's how I just take on uh, life to me. I mean, I just just <laughs> just like that. What about you guys, huh? No, nope. how you look at life? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I'm I'm the I'm the boulder that's being pushed. I feel like I feel like someone's always pushing me up a hill eternally. <laughs> the myth of Wigafus. Yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm the weight for somebody else. It's no good. It's not great. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably Antonio is pushing me up a hill. Not he probably not is while he's rubbing through your hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, somebody, if, that sounds like heaven. Honestly. If there's an animator that, in the audience, true. I'd love to see that. Uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, no, th th I don't know. I just think that Lou has got he he's he's got this kind of uh, difficult world that he lives in, and he's really just going to have to embrace it. We like, for example, it, Lou's always seemingly alone like uh, on the job like he 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 works with hank but they don't work for the same uh they don't work for the same police department we yeah, don't he see have a partner yeah yeah we don't see lou working with a partner at all we don't really see it's really kind of a sole quest here for him so far so i i just love it i mean I, this was a great episode to kind of really and and to contrast him against the the ben schmidt character lance davis on our show our page at post show recap said he's got to be in the gerhardt's pocket right and i think we know uh at least it seems to us that that he's just terrified of the Gerhards. He's not. Yeah. He doesn't have the spine that that Lou does. Yeah, yeah. we we read. That's one of the most important things we learned right away is how powerful this family has hold over this entire town of Fargo. It seems like that you know they really got control over everything, pretty much. 
Yeah. I mean, it could be, he could be in their pocket and that could explain why he's going to have a really posh job in the future. I mean, come on. I mean, he's, I mean, Ben is talking about, they're swapping stories about kids and family and stuff. I totally think he for sure is in their pocket. Absolutely. But, but but it's also possible that they're just such powerhouses in Fargo that he's just like, yeah, not touching that, not touching that. That's true. He's definitely terrified. I mean, the way he describes them, uh, as you mentioned earlier, when he's talking to Lou about how it only be better if we just go to prison let's just right. go to jail and have uh, running water water and food yeah and and i don't want to I, mean, I, I don't want to jump ahead too much but gene smart floyd the first words out of her mouth are like how's your mom right. so she very clearly is like i know who your family is like i right. know what your life is and and that's not somebody that you want thinking about your mother i, I assure you and i love by the way i in that scene i just absolutely loved her there because that was like for the first time i really feel like I could be terrified of this woman as, as the boss, because she, she was just, Oh man, just standing up there on the, on the, on the deck, like there on the porch. I don't know. I just got this thing. Like she basically had this look on her, like, don't mess with me. I mean, it was, it was great. Yeah. yeah I'd be afraid to mess with Jean smart. Exactly. <laughs> she's, she's tough. She's tough. She's, she's playing this role. Fantastic. And I, yeah. I just really felt it in this, this particular scene, especially that uh, she's just, she's bringing it. It was great. I have a question for you guys. Does, um, does sometimes a girl just want to bust a nut? Apparently, according to Simone, Dodd's Dodd's daughter, <laughs> that was a line. Sometimes a girl just wants to bust a nut, you know, that yeah. was rough, but I, I thought that scene was great. Not necessarily for what was happening but what wasn't happening which is Hansy was barely saying anything and she gave everything she goes through this great process of where she's like i don't even know where it is well maybe i know where it is once and he's still not saying anything and she's like well maybe okay i'll take you there you know what i mean like he's really saying very very little but totally dominating that conversation and she's giving up every bit of information that he needs and i thought that's fantastic also he eats that rabbit heart I know it's gross. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, how much? How much is she? Is she letting him dominate the conversation versus how much does she want to get involved? And I think that that's a question with this character that's starting to come up. And I like it. I like that this idea that Simone and we see her stand up to her dad later on in the episode, but we see her in the scene with Skip coming up in a few in a few scenes where she's really going to be you know playing him along and literally dragging him by the tie out the door. Uh, you know, talk about. Her dominating the conversation here with Dent, she dominates the conversation there. Dent just stands there and looks intimidating. I feel like she's loving this. Yeah, she I is. feel like she I feel like she's really into the into the Gerhardt family business. I mean, both of the kids are, you know, her and Charlie Bear's kid. They both really want to get involved in this thing, and both of their parents really don't want them involved. But I, I, I hear what you're saying about how Dent doesn't have to say a word and he just owns that conversation. I think Simone's giving up the goods because she wants to have a fun day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a girl just wants to bust a nut means you know multiple things yeah that's interesting because she does start the conversation by saying i go down there to buy drugs and he was like nope you don't i know you're lying because no one is allowed to sell you drugs dodd said he would he would break their heads right and then that's when she says sometimes a girl just wants to bust a nut so i don't know if she was trying to hold out and hands he's just not having any of it then she goes with the flow if she always wanted to do that and that's one of the things that i've got in my notes is that simone is a very interesting character uh and she was I mean, she was great at what she did when she got to the hotel room. She spun, I mean, not to 
to be fair, can we talk about how awful of a just weak person poor Skip was? I mean, the man lied yeah. in his own grave and let them kill him. But yeah, well, he, yeah. He, he, he was, was. I mean, he's a Lester Nygaard without a without a wife to hammer in the head. Like he didn't have a Lorne Malvo pushing him in that direction. But that guy had like Lester Nygaard upside potentially. Well, that you because you'd have to because there's nowhere to go but up from how low he was. <laughs> yeah. and, but she worked the shit out of him, so that was great. Yeah, well, I saw good. I saw some people compare him to uh, William H Macy's character from the movie. So I mean, but I could I definitely see right. He's in that role. Yeah, he's in that role for sure. Yeah, yeah. Did, would you could you say that uh, Simone is probably the most freakiest freak on the entire <laughs> season of second season of Fargo? So <laughs> far. Don't you think? Freak. I don't She's know. Peggy's freak. pretty. Peggy's pretty freaky. Yeah, yeah Peggy's true. pretty freaky. I think Peggy's mm. pretty freaky. Uh, right? Seemed like he could have been freaky. I bet Mike Milligan gets freaky. Yeah, yeah. He's well, of course. Progressive uh, rock. Yeah, we haven't seen him in a while, but Carl Weathers probably gets freaky. Carl Nick Weathers. Offerman's character. Oh my gosh, Carl yeah. Weathers. I There's can't some, get over that. <laughs> there are definitely some contenders. There's some contenders. Yeah, Peggy sure. is a pretty freaky freak. Peggy's boss also, you know. We're, we're gonna oh, ask. yeah, no, she's oh, the yeah. freakiest freak oh. of the week, Constance, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Or she's, she's the freakiest freak of last week. I can't wait to talk about Constance. I don't want to well, jump let's, ahead. Let's talk a, no, let's talk about it right now. We're not jumping ahead. Oh, no, yeah, we're right here. That's right. Yeah, we're right We're yeah. right here. We're at the salon. We have Hanky rolls up. Uh, we we find out that Peggy's going to do the live spring seminar, but she hasn't told Ed, which is interesting. She just doesn't tell him stuff. Mm-hmm. She just sets him out to do the dirty work and doesn't talk to the guy. So there's definitely something really weird going on there. Uh, but we have Hank shows up. He has a rise mug shot. He plasters it there. And obviously Peggy is freaking out. <laughs> and, they, and Betsy of all people, once again, uh, Betsy is, is a, is a sharp, sharp cookie. She's, yeah. you know, she's Lou's wife, but she's got those cop instincts. She is Hank's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's one, what if you're not supposed to be looking for a man? What if you're supposed to be looking for a car? And yeah. you just see Kirsten Dunst exploding. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really good work on her part. Yeah. And especially when Constance is like, Oh, what about your car? And Peggy's like, you know, that's a dumb theory. It's not good. It doesn't make sense. And Hank's like, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I was paying attention to her eyes the entire time, and it was just brilliant eye work as well. So, no, but I, I think that's my job, Jeremiah. Oh, yeah. sorry about that. I forgot. No, I totally agree. I It was fantastic watching her in the background just completely freaking out and just going back and forth with the broom and sweeping things up. And she, you could just tell things just rolling through her mind like, oh, my God, this woman is like completely – Panning out the entire thing of exactly how it happened, and she just—it was fantastic. So, so I have a question for you guys about that. Peggy's going to kill Constance, right? I uh, totally I, yes. I could see it. I could totally yeah, see it because she has, she has to kill her, right? Because that's the open end, right? Because Constance saw the car with the yeah. hole in it. Uh, and now we have the very description, and she's about to even bring it up in that moment. And so this is bad news. Constance is the only one besides Ed who knows that the car was previously hurt before that crazy accident. She hears the theory from Betsy sitting in the chair. Peggy's right. freaking out about it. Peggy's going to have to kill Constance. My question is, was she already planning to? Is that why she all of a sudden has now changed her mind and said she's going to the seminar? Is she going to go on this trip with Constance and Constance is not coming back? 
Mm. Was that the was that the plan that she was going to go with Constance to the seminar? Yes, Constance. Last week it was all about Constance saying you need to go, we need to go. I went last year. I want you to go with me. Blah 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 blah. And it was a little weird. It was a little is Constance into Peggy? Is that why this is happening? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there some sort of thing there that Peggy's familiar with and aware of, but maybe taking a little bit of advantage of or whatever? Uh, and Last week, Peggy was sort of like, I don't want to go. I'm kind of, and we kind of chalked it up to, well, she doesn't want to go because the murder and because she's feeling uncomfortable about that. But now it's kind of like the next day or whatever, uh, or very short time period has passed and she's all, I'm definitely going to go. I think she's formulated the plan that once Constance saw that car, she needed to go. Yeah. yeah, and if I remember right, I think we mentioned this last week in our podcast, too, about this, because she's going to be an issue because, you know, like you said, she's hearing the story about what they think happened, and she saw the car. I mean, she's got to go, but I think that's a fascinating question is whether or not she's has always had this in their plan in the first place, and I'm not quite sure. I ter- I definitely could see it's possible that that's something she's been thinking about. Now, another interesting question we may ask ourselves, is she capable of doing herself or is she going to try to get poor Ed to do it? Yeah, this is a question on our page on PoeshowRecaps.com from Stephen526, who said, Peggy has been very adept at getting Ed to do her dirty work with Constance seeming to connect the dots between Rye and the Blomquists. Will Peggy pressure Ed to kill Constance? Would Ed be willing to go that far, or would he stand up to Peggy? And would Peggy kill Constance if Ed refused to? So I, I think the first question, will Peggy pressure Ed to kill Constance? I feel pretty comfortable saying, yeah. I think I, no. I think no. Really? I think this is why Ed doesn't know about the seminar. I think she's yeah, going to try I, to do it on her own. Well, I, th- oh. I think that that may have been the plan, but I feel like the plan is going to go nuclear with the fact that they've made they've made their play with the car. They crashed the car into the tree. Constance was already on, um, you know, on on the hunt for this for the truth of the matter here. She seemed to be connecting the dots. She's going to figure out that the car was not that totaled when she saw the car. I don't know that she can wait for her life spring. I don't know that Peggy can wait that long, and I think that Peggy would absolutely go to Ed and say, honey, uh, I'll make you extra hamburger helper if you go and kill my boss. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I, I, I think that she would absolutely, at the very least, would be willing. To yes, I agree Ed. with that. I agree so with let's, that. So let's change will Peggy to is Peggy willing to pressure Ed? Absolutely. Yes. I think the, the more interesting question is, would Ed be willing to go that far, or would he stand up to Peggy? And I don't feel like I've got a great enough read on the character yet to know one way or the other. Well, I could see it going both ways. I could see Ed deciding like, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to do it. And then he winds up in the meat grinder or I could see him throwing Connie. Hmm. I kind of feel like I do know enough about him already. I'm, I'm, I feel pretty confident to say that I think he'll do whatever she says for him to do. I just think he's totally – I just look at these two. We've said it kind of early on in this when we were started reviewing this season that we could tell right away from the first episode that she wasn't obviously that crazy about him, but he is completely crazy about her. And I just get this feeling that he would – he's one of these dumb guys who will do just about anything for his lady and that love is blind for him and he he's going to do it. And I actually – I can see the scenario now. I think what's going to happen is she's going to go – we're going to see them at this seminar together, maybe in the hotel room. And Constance is going to bring up to her saying, so why don't you tell me what really happened with your car? And then she may kill her right there and then ask Ed to help her clean it up. Uh, That's my thing. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that could happen. Uh, there, there's a lot of possibilities. I, I do think Peggy is trying to keep uh, her 
darkest nature from Ed a lot of the time. I mean, I don't think Ed knew she stole the TP. She was trying to hide the body in the, in the garage and make Ed not realize that it happened. I don't know how much of this is Peggy being totally delusional. Uh, and really just being kind of a nut job and how much of it is her being totally like a boss. Uh, and so the, we, I, I don't want to skip ahead too far. We're pretty much right there. We had, we have the scene next where, uh, poor Skip shows up at the hotel room, uh, and she gets really worked over, which is a great scene. Skip is just like, this is, I don't know. Is that his Christian name? Skip Spring? <laughs> not a good name. Not yeah. a good name. No. This guy, I thought it was the It's like guy, a Dirk Diggler. Yeah, I thought I thought this. Have you seen this actor before? I thought it was the uh, Dan Stevens or whatever his name from Downton Abbey, but it's no, not. <laughs> no, it's no. not. It's but he kind of looks like the love child of Dan Stevens and Martin Freeman. A little bit. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. He kind of he kind of has the Lester Nygaard thing going on. Mm-hmm. I can see a little bit of the Dan Stevens. There is a little bit of the weak chin. Yeah. So I, I mean, this guy he's just weak all around. Like he, yeah. he the, who's that guy? Oh, don't worry about that guy. He's boring. I have a he's drink. Squirrely. He's squirrely. Yeah, but I mean, he just he. he I, I don't know. Poor guy. He's he's a patriot though. He is yeah. very patriotic tie. Best country in the world. Yeah. And now just a hair of his ties sticking out from some asphalt. I like that. I like that. That's very good. That's yeah. Very this fun. you could. I mean, I think we mentioned before uh, in previous uh, episodes that, you know, this poor Skip, we knew knew things were not going to go well for him. Uh, but oh, my goodness. He really he's just not that bright. Not that bright. But, not that bright at all. I mean, he's he get, he manages to get out of the situation with Schmidt and Salverson, but I don't think that's really by anything that he did. It's just no. like these guys are like, oh, this this little wanker is nowhere. Uh, he's nowhere near this thing. He just can't. Well, and it's well, mainly Schmidt saying that. I, was I, think, say, I think Lou kind of is is into it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah it, is, it is Schmidt who says, like, we can't dig deep into every single thing. Yeah, this, every, he says we can't dig deep into every single, like, and he uses some, like, a term of derision. I think he calls him, like, a sad sack or something. Uh-huh. And then Skip's like, yeah, you're right. Like, I am a sad sack. Like, <laughs> ben, you, you don't want to be paying attention. Yeah, ben Schmidt yeah, no. is definitely the type of, of officer who will use any excuse to try to get out of probably doing his job. I mean, he, I he had no, he did not want to go down that road even further. And especially, you could tell, because once they get to the uh, typewriter shop later on in, in the episode, you know, he was just willing to say, ah, yeah, Lou, go ahead. You can you can go check it out yourself. I got other things to do. Well, yes. what's really interesting about that, right, is that he is so red hot pissed when poor Gus does the exact same thing in season one. Yeah. When he doesn't run the plate, when he's not, when he's scared of doing his job or whatever, he really just runs Gus ragged for that. And yet here he is doing the exact same thing. Basically. Yep. Very so what are the point. consequences of this going to be? Yep. You know, it, it leads you to think that uh, Schmidt's going to screw up and he's going to take this kind of personally. And in the future, he's not going to want to see people do that again, mm. or he's just a hypocrite and he's just being a dick. Yeah. Either way, but it is, an, it, it, it is, I mean, I'll the, go the with past, the latter. Yeah. It's yeah. never dead. It isn't even past. Like the, th- the same things will happen over and over again. And you can be cool and calm and collective in the moment like Lou, or you can be like Schmitty here and just be totally just terrified of everything. Uh, and I, I guess you don't blame him because we know what happens with old skip. Yeah, we know what happens to the old Skip, who, by the way, the name of the actor is Mike Bradichich, uh, who is mostly an unknown. I think he's probably a uh, more stage guy. Uh, this seems to be one of his bigger roles, looking at his IMDb. So there you go. And it's weird. In IMDb, he's credited for episodes uh, one and three as Skip 
or in in two and three, a skip, and in the first episode, his name was Mister Watson. Oh, well, oh, Sherlock Holmes hmm. thing. I didn't. We, yeah, another so. call out to Martin Freeman. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, but yeah, he we we talked a bit about this scene already, where Skip goes to find Rye, and instead he finds Hansy Dent, and he finds Simone, and they just you know bring him along to 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 meet his maker, which is just no no bueno, as Antonio likes to say. Yeah, no bueno for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so let's get back to Peggy. I know you want to get back to Peggy. This is a great scene where Peggy's plan. This is incredible. I'd never heard this before. And kids, don't try this at home. No. Uh, but Peggy talks about her uncle who would drunk drive a lot. And he would obviously he would crash his car because that's what happens. Uh, and so when he would do that, he would stay up late enough to, to sober up. And when he would sober up, he would drive his car into a tree so that insurance would pay for the damage. And she wants to do that here with with Ed and the car. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's she, dark. It's dark, but I guess effective potentially. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not going to work out. No. Where I'm from, there are a lot of uh, dumb criminals like that. Uh, and <laughs> that small time kind of activity. It's like, oh. Yeah, didn't we th- podcast about a show filled with them? That's what I mean. And you yeah. think you're super smart and you think you're above the law or you think you've got. This is a very Dewey Crow action, Josh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's the kind of action that we saw in Justified. It's the kind of action you see with a lot of people who think they've got the world by the balls. These are the people that you, you see getting caught for crimes all the time. You read about them. There's a whole Twitter account called Florida Man, uh, which right. is just about the exploits of these really stupid criminals. Uh, and so this seems like a really smart thing, but it is a really dumb thing. Uh, maybe it works here uh, because they're just trying to cover up damage that was done to the car. But I feel like Peggy's head is full of these schemes where she really thinks that she's got the, the, the right idea. And she thinks it's just as simple as throwing a body in a grinder and uh, cleaning up a little bit of blood and then you're good to go. Um, mm-hmm. But she, it's not, it doesn't work that way. There are always are going to be loose ends and you know, what's going to happen is she's going to kill Constance. And then when Constance dies and she's missing and the police come sniffing around again, they're going to be like, Oh, well who, who should we look at? Let's look at the people that work with her, the people that are close to her. Oh, I remember that conversation. She was here when we were talking about that other, incident right, and they're right. going to put the threads together it it doesn't work like this it's like as soon as you start pulling at these loose threads the whole sweater comes undone and i don't yeah. think peggy's thinking about the big board i think she's just really trying to move in the moment and i think she's i think that she thinks she's a lot smarter than she is i got a question for you guys because uh, i always like to put myself in in different scenarios if if this was me so what are you what would you guys do if this was you guys what would you do with this car what would you guys have done? You find a rundown mechanic in a you know shitty part of town. You pay him twice his fee to fix the windshield, and you give him a false name. And if he asks for an ID, you take off. And then you shoot okay. him in the back of the head, so no one will ever know. <laughs> I mean, right? it, like, that's the that's the final move, right? That's the exclamation mark. You you well, if you have to, you have to. But pre- preferably, you go to a city that you're not from, maybe even a state that you're not from, uh, and you say that you hit a deer uh, and you just need it fixed, and you know you you just you just do you, you get it. And this is a time when there aren't cameras everywhere. Like this is an easy fix, in my opinion. I, I'm see, actually sort of surprised that that they that they resorted to this. I think that there's there are much easier solutions for this. But again, I think. It's it's Peggy being what she thinks is this sort of criminal mastermind and she's smart enough and she's taking tips from literally from drunk uncle. Like that's literally who's guiding her is drunk uncle. Yeah. Drunkle is her force ghost in this moment. Like she's, <laughs> she's relying on her drunk uncle as her Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Probably yeah. Not, not going to end well. That's obviously not a wise idea, but I'm glad you said that Antonio, because I was thinking the same thing. I mean, she is completely overthinking this because it's not, 
is a much easier solution than coming up with the one she did to, you know, get this car fixed and, and take care of the situation. It just was, blows my mind that this was her idea. But again, well, when you listen to it was her idea. Uncles, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it was her idea because it was hilarious. It was, it was hilarious. It was really, a really great scene. Just very funny and very far ago. So it was just, yeah. you know, if, if Noah Hawley's goal is to, to echo the Coen brothers as much as he can, as often as he can, yeah. you know, consider, consider it echoed. I thought that this was very Coen-esque and very funny. Oh, yeah, I, I think like, so absolutely. too. And this was her kind of plan in the moment. She was terrified so much that she almost bolted out of work, pulled Pulled Ed out of work during the middle of the day and said, we have to go do this right now. Yeah, uh, family crisis. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is the way that they plan when there is no time to plan. I'm just surprised they didn't have a better plan in place the whole time. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, we go. We want to go to the Gerhardt compound now. I, if if it involves uh, turkey legs uh, and yeah. gesticulation, then yes. Sure. Yeah, we're in we're in turkey leg land, and I feel like you've got a lot to say about Bear's scene with Charlie. Maybe it's just about the turkey legs you want to talk about, Antonio. It's mo- it's mostly about that. I I do think <laughs> that it's I well, I mean, like I said, the guy looks like I don't know Brett Gelman meets Zach Galifianakis. Like he just looks like a bear of a man, and it is very interesting that he has a softer side. And he, you know, we don't know where the mother is, right? But he says something like, "I promised your mother that this would that I would not let you get into this." That I would- isn't the mother uh lou salverson's wife on the show <laughs> not, not that mother uh different mother different mother different mother we don't sorry, know sorry, we don't sorry. know how bear met uh bear, his son's mother we don't know how that yeah. happened so i uh, mean we should have a spinoff and we could see a 1970s him yeah uh with you think uh, that she'll uh, be played by kobe smolders that could happen sure that would be nice that could happen sure. and we could have a lot of turkey legs and uh wild moments you could be drinking some half and half i mean i love this guy i'm a big bear fan i i thought he would be a little bit more like a coover from justified the kind of like i said dim-witted sort of just brutish angry brother um but he seems not that he seems to be a little softer he is a little rough I, obviously he's literally pointing at his son with a turkey leg and yelling in anger with his food with his mouth full of meat but seems uh, like he's got a broken hand maybe yeah with the dirtiest weirdest cast of all time like what's going on there but uh, i really am a big big bear fan i'm on team bear which means i'm on team floyd Mm -hmm. of course yeah, no. So it's Ed, but Charlie really wants to get in on the business. Uh, he says, I am something already. I'm a Gerhardt, right? And Bear says, you're mine. You're my son. Dodd's got his girls, but you're mine and you're not getting into this thing. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting that we, we see these two kids. Uh, this is another thing that was pointed out to us by, by Lance Davis on Post Show Recaps. He said, with both Gerhardt brothers having dissension between them and each one's respective offspring, Charlie and Simone, do you guys see Simone joining her Uncle Bear's cause and Charlie joining his Uncle Dodd's cause for this Kansas, Kansas City Finding Rye conflict? Uh, I feel like that could be what's being set up here, that Simone wants to get in on Grandma Gerhardt's business. Mm-hmm. And Charlie, if he's being denied by Bear, he might go up to Dodd and say, hey, let me help you out. And that guy's going to get killed if that happens. Yeah. Charlie is not coming out of that alive or yeah. he's getting shot. Something bad will happen. Yeah, he, he does seem like he's, he wants to prove something as well, just like Simone does. So I could see that going very poorly for him. 
All right, let's let's keep pushing through. I mean, we could keep going with the podcast, or it's not too late to go to the movies if you guys want to just wrap this thing. What did you guys want to see? <laughs> I don't know. The Martians, number one. Yeah. Oh, no. Is that it's a UFO raining, reference? Reigning champ. No, not yet. That's early for the UFO. That's early for the UFO. No, no. no. Lou and Schmidt show up at the Gerhardt compound. We've touched on this a little bit already, so I don't think we need to linger here too much other than to say that this scene is terrific. Uh, to see Lou going up against Floyd and then Dodd, and I oh, know yeah. that you're not a Dodd fan, Antonio, but it was great to see these two up against each other, puffing chests at each other, because you know that that's going to bear fruit down the line. And because we know that Lou Salverson is alive and well, albeit with a limp in the future, you know that if there's a confrontation between these two, you know who the victor is. Right. So you got to feel good about that. You got to feel good that we're setting that up a little bit. Your favorite character is going to punch your least favorite character in the face, if not worse. I like it. Yeah. Two battering rams facing off here. Two battering rams. <laughs> yeah, I like it's gonna that. Be amazing. Gonna, I like we're going to end up there. I, I think that that's right. I I think that having this sort of face-to-face thing happen uh, means that it's going to happen again, uh, and we know who will walk away from that one. And I was going to ask you guys about this scene and about the next scene uh, that we'll really talk about with Lou. Uh, right. We, we kind of tracked this a little bit last week. Are we losing any of the tension from these scenes because we know Lou makes it? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, don't get me wrong. These scenes were great. There was a lot of tension. It was, it was really good really good stuff. But I agree with you. If we're going to see more and more of this, that it's going to be after a while, I'll be like, you know, okay, I, we've seen this already and it won't be nearly as, as satisfying as it was with that we saw from last week. So I, I, I agree with, I know exactly what you're thinking. I, that was my exact thoughts too. When I, when I, when these scenes came up, but it was, it was great. The, that scene with Lou versus dot, it was fantastic. I love the line that Lou had where he said, I think you're dancing with the wrong girl. And Lou is, and he's like, He's like, just looked at him like, what are you talking about? Yeah, Dodd did not care for that. <laughs> no, he did no, not. Like it at all. Of course he didn't. <laughs> it was great. I liked it's that. So kind of jerk. But it's a great line from Lou. That was great. It was great. Dance with the wrong girl, buddy. Yeah. And, uh, I want to use that uh, line, by the way. Yeah, it's good. It's I great. liked it. I thought it was really good. Where are you going to use that line? I don't know, but it'll, I'm I'm hoping someday, Antonio, yeah, what if, what that there'll Jeremiah's be a moment in my life Saturday where I can problems. use that line. <laughs> Yeah, one of Jeremiah's big fights coming up. Yeah, oh, I've been in so many fights already, but I know. Oh wait, no, I haven't. It's on the way. But yeah, we see we see Floyd is like, I think uh, Ben, I think you're going to have to teach your friends some manners here. So obviously, Lou not playing by the Gerhardt house rules, even though he's on their field. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I really like that these stories are now starting to collide. We're only three episodes into this thing, but uh, I, I do think, and to the point of watching this weekly versus the binge watch. Uh, it has it has been a build to this moment, and I'm glad that we have first contact between these parties. I think that that's going to be good. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And and it, I don't know. We we have, and I really wish that the next scene was the alien scene because the first contact segue would have been great. Well, yeah. there is a little bit of a reference uh, here. What the, is yeah. the next scene at the typewriter store? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you notice what the kitchen brother was reading in the bathroom that he came out of? Oh yeah. Is he, is he one of the Borg? <laughs> no, he's reading no. A, a magazine that says UFO on it. Yeah. Oh, how about that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in there. The but... UFO thing is real. It's real. Yeah, we're going to get a really weird scene after this one with the UFO guy. But... <laughs> the thing is real. We can get into that in a little bit, but there is this great scene at the typewriter store between Mike Milligan and the bathroom bros, and it's it, you know it's two shotguns versus Lou Salverson's revolver, and I think that this is another example, perhaps, of we know Lou is going to make it out if you're alive. So if any guns are going off, you know the worst that's going to happen is Lou's going to walk away with a limp. Yeah. 
And I saw some people on Reddit mention they thought that the the scene there with the with the lock on the door and the typewriter store kind of felt like it was a little bit of a reference to uh, No Country for Old Men, which I guess I could see that. Did you guys think that, or do you think that was kind of in, in what there. way? What was the what was the reference? I guess there was a scene there of the the way the store and how it was the door was propped open. I'm trying to remember the scene because it's been a while since I've seen No Country for Old Men. There's the but scene can, at the gas station for sure at No Country for Old Men with the uh, coin flip and all of that. That's oh, that, that's the true. tension is the tension sure. is built with the way that you know the the gas station specifically is kind of shot and framed and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a similarity there. I feel like that's a little bit of a reach. I think that it's a reach. There's a okay. much closer connection with Blood Simple later in. The the uh, movie when someone literally gets buried alive and we That's see true. the kind of movement in the asphalt, which is similar to the movement we see in the dirt in Blood Simple. So I think that that's a much closer connection. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you have to reach too far in in this TV series to to see the Coen brothers connections. Either like Josh was saying with the scene with Peggy at the tree, the kind of stupid criminals doing stupid things, which is at the heart of a lot of Coen brothers movies, uh, or whether they're directly like the Blood Simple buried alive scene versus the buried alive scene here. Uh, yeah, this right. scene. I thought was was reminiscent of Fargo season one. It was reminiscent of Mike Milligan's scene earlier in this series. Uh, it was reminiscent of a lot of things. I really love Bokeem Woodbine in this scene specifically. Um, he's kind of he at one point he drops his accent. Did you guys catch that? No. Oh yeah. yeah. He he says he says I think like when he's talking about how he likes the people there uh, and he you know it's because they're they're really jerks but they're really nice about it. He says something yeah. like. He says something you're, like, you're, it, like you're doing me a favor, uh, but yeah, he says right. it in a different tone, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, yeah. interesting. is that the real Mike Milligan voice? Because that was scary. Uh, yeah. And he's just, I love this guy. He's a little bit of a kind of a TV trope, um, which I do believe others on the internet, uh, including at Reddit, and I've seen in comments sections have talked about characters that are affably evil. Um, he is all over the affably evil. Oh, um, yeah. He's just really polite to people most of the time, except for the fact that he really has some ulterior motives that are a lot darker under the surface. Sure. And I mean, he does say this thing to Lou where uh, he says, I I like you. I liked the sheriff. I liked that other guy. And, you know, we see Lou say, well, it's because we're friendly people in Minnesota. Right. And Mike says, that's not it. You're pretty unfriendly, actually, but it's the way you're unfriendly. You're so polite about it, like you're doing me a favor is the line. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he, it's a great line. He's saying it about Lou. He's saying it about Hank, but he's obviously talking about himself as well. And I think that unfriendly is a real understatement. And I think, uh, I think that, like, you're doing me a favor. Uh, it's like I'm doing you a favor that I'm not just having these guys shotgun you down. And, and it, uh, so there's definitely a lot of menace to Mike Miller. Yeah, and it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a nice up because the, all these interactions have have been unfriendly in a friendly way, and we know eventually they're gonna turn unfriendly really quickly. And so it, that's what's really great. I think about that line is knowing that yeah, right now things are being treated very nicely, but pretty soon it's going to turn pretty ugly. Yeah, I can't wait to see the villainous breakdown for Mike Milligan because we sort of see the villainous yeah. breakdown for Dodd in this episode uh, when he when we he, he definitely murders someone uh, or or encourages them to be murdered or however you want to put that. Uh, we see him just being kind of one dimensionally evil, but we don't see that from Milligan yet. We only see this sort of simmering, lingering under the surface kind of villainy where on the surface he's totally cheer cheerful, cheery, polite. Isn't that the kind of thing where two guys in the world will just sit here and talk about their problems while everyone else is losing their minds? Right, when Mike right. Milligan loses his mind, it's going to be pretty good because of all this setup. 
Yeah, well, I mean, just to, to, to harken it back to Justify it again for a second. Remember, you and I used to talk about that, about the Garrett Dillahunt character yes. in season six of Justified, where this was a guy who was very eloquent and had a lot to say, uh, and you knew that he could just do something awful at the drop of a hat, and he just wasn't doing it. And eventually he starts to, uh, but it was really more about the threat of the menace and you know what he is potentially capable of is almost scarier than any guns that could go off, than any of those two shotguns blasting. So I think that that's Mike Milligan's best weapon as a character right now is the potential for what he can do. I'm sure this being Fargo and this being a really brilliantly written show in season one and so far in season two, that whenever those guns go off, whenever Mike Milligan decides to bite somebody's face off, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a really great scene. But right now I'm really loving the, you know, the sizzling flavor of just getting to that point. I think that that's what's really, really gold about this character. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really good. All right, let's talk about the UFOs. This is so weird. So who wants to take a crack at the UFOs? Because I'm so I'm mystified by this. We go to the gas station. This guy is just talking about aliens straight up. So this is very much on the show. It's not just like kind of in the back of your mind weirdness. The aliens are a deal. Yeah, <laughs> there there's something going on. I what is going on? I, I don't know, but my, here's my, okay, I don't know, I don't have necessarily any theories about this just yet, but I will say is, uh, are you a little concerned that they won't be able to land this in quite a way that's going to be satisfying? Or is there any concerns out there about that? And I know we've been, we've been, we trust, we trust this guy, we trust uh, Noah, he's been great, but are you a little concerned that he's going to be able to nail whatever this is, however this is going to tie in? Are you a little concerned? I don't know. I, um, I, I have faith in this guy. This has been such a great ride. Season one was such a great ride and everything landed and everything connected. And I think that season two so far is, you know, it's a very different story. It's a different pace. It's, it's a slower experience for me because it's the week to week rather than the binge. But I got a lot of faith in this guy and I'm up for some weirdness. I say this a lot. Like anytime a show wants to be a little risky and be a little weird, I'm up for weirdness. If that's the direction you want to go, I'll go for the ride. It might not land. I don't think i'll be heartbroken if it doesn't land but i got a lot of confidence that this could land uh antonio i could see this being something that you're worried about i'm actually not super worried about it um but my my i don't i'm not worried that it won't land i'm actually worried that they'll try to make it land uh and that that will be what we get i would Mm -hmm. much prefer this be just kind of vague and there throughout the season and and it not really be explained overtly that it be something that is more kind of just tied loosely together that you can draw your own conclusions from like for example the beginning the prologue with the waiting for dutch kind of scene where we're waiting for ronald reagan at that that movie kind of set and we have the interaction between the native american and the jewish guy who says right. hey, i'm a jew i get this and i'm a native right. american i'm not really native american from jersey right my blah, blah 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 all this stuff and it's called waiting for dutch and then we've seen kind of throughout that episode at the beginning and then the course of this episode too, a lot of the stuff with the gas crisis and they're blaming Jimmy Carter and his peanut smile, as they put it, and all these things that are happening. And these people are literally, with her, perhaps without realizing it, waiting for Ronald Reagan, uh, who when he ran for election in 1980, based, or 1979, 1980, basically swept the country. I think he won like 40 he won a ton of states and the whole country was sort of thought they were waiting for Dutch. And so I think that there's a little bit more of a connection there that I'm seeing already is for the UFO stuff. I don't, I don't need it to be overt. I don't want to know that the whole town is, they're not going to end up like flying away like night court. Like it's not going to happen. <laughs> so I sure, don't know. But regardless of what you want, it's on the show in a fairly heavy way right now. You know, we have the actual saucer. We have the actual UFO in episode one. 
Episode two ends with a monologue from War of the Worlds. Episode three has a guy talking to who is essentially our main character, our protagonist, about aliens. It's three for three now. So whether or not you want it to to be explicit, whether or not you want it to be vague, it doesn't seem like it's going to be vague, dude. It seems like we're going for it. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't think we will. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I don't think we're going to get a uh, direct tie-in like that. I think we're going to have more UFO stuff. That's no doubt about it. But I think that it's going to all ultimately be thematic and not narrative. Yeah, I'm with Antonio. I still think it's going to be thematic myself. But we could see. I mean, you could be right, Josh. We could be going there. Well, would you count it as thematic? Would you count what happened to Rye as thematic? You know, he is looking at this object in the sky, and when he's distracted by it, he gets sideswiped by Kirsten Dunst. Uh, is that thematic or is that narrative? I think that that's, that's the debate right now, is I think that yeah. a lot of people think that it's narrative, that we're going to get some kind of answer to that, and people are struggling to find the thematic representation behind it. I think that something happened. I mean, I don't know if he was – we saw what the representation of the lights were. Maybe he really did see a UFO and that's what happened but ultimately i think that we're going to be meant to draw themes from that similarly i think that the end of season two or episode two is incredibly thematic i think that that whole thing is thematic we we read the article last week and talked about uh the writing where it's this belief of the tie-in to the man who wasn't there and how ufos are watching over everything and we have to just submit to these ever watchful things that you know are not necessarily on the planet and um, I don't know. There's a there's a lot of talk about that on this season of Fargo is who's watching who and who are the watchers and, you know, who's responsible. Patrick Wilson, for he's one of the watchmen. He's, he's the night owl. He is. He is. So there's the connection there, too. But I don't think yeah. that's meant to be. Do you think that the that the night owl spaceship that's the that's the UFO? I I, I really hope not. Oh, my it has God. a technical name <laughs> that I can't pull off the top of my head. Unfortunately, if Zack Snyder is in any way involved in Zack Snyder's Fargo, that's a good. No, it doesn't. It sounds everyone like just like slow motion, half naked, running at each other in the snowy fields of Fargo. Uh, that sounds great. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. What if Zack Snyder's massacre at Sioux Falls? Oh, this is all awful. This is Dawn all really, really, really bad to me. Dawn of Fargo. Not a fan. Can, yeah, it's good. Can it not though sort of be? both though narrative and uh thematic sure. because that's kind of what i'm wondering where they're going to go with this because they, you know it would be left open to where sure there there really could be aliens out there but it also has this it ties in perfectly with the theme of of what we had talked right. about before yeah, I don't think that we're going to see little green men or anything okay. like that. I don't. I don't think that we're getting like a like a, a saucer is going to land and a bunch of aliens are going to come out and Lou Salverson and Betsy, who were just in the middle of this firefight, are now going to look out at these aliens and then they're going to point at Betsy and then Betsy's like, "I have to go with them. Raise our daughter, Lou. I'll be fine. They'll cure me and I'll go on magical space adventures." I don't see that happening. I would like to see and, that. Happen. And the whole That's time great. here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. I don't think it's, I don't think that's where we're going. I think that we're seeing a UFO again, and I think that it will play an important role in the story in terms of what it does to a character. Okay. Uh, in the vein of what happened to Rye Gerhardt, looking up at the sky, being distracted by the sky, and then getting sideswiped. I think something to that effect will happen again, and I'd be really shocked if it doesn't. I could buy that. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that would be that would be my compromise between narrative and thematic. Uh, I do think it'll be mostly thematic, but I think that it is going to have some sort of physical manifestation again in the season. I would be really surprised if it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, so that's Lou's day. It's a real high noon day. It's also a two slices of cake day. It was a big yeah. day for Lou Salverson. <laughs> it was a big day. 
Yeah, every day for me is a two slices of cake kind of day. Yeah. I never cake, earn it, but I, but I eat it anyway. Yeah, two slices. It's more than I was two slices. More than two slices for pizza. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Any guesses on how many times I had pizza in the last four days? Any, Ooh, any takers? I'm gonna go three. four days. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I think it was. I think it was three. Three. I think it was three. Well, I already had pizza for lunch. I'm heavy for dinner, so that's how. Oh, you're a good man. See? You're a good man. <laughs> man out my own heart. I have one question about the, we have one, the the scene with Peggy and uh and Ed in the the bus where they're communicating about will it be all right and right. they're not the characters aren't saying anything. Did you guys like oh, that scene? Yeah, they're telepathic. I like yeah. that reveal. I thought that was good. <laughs> I like that. I like that they're, they're aliens starting to on the yes. <laughs> they're aliens and they're able to read minds. Yes. Come on, yeah. this is we already solved that. So it sounds to me like you didn't like the stylistic choice there. No, I didn't mind it. I thought it was fun. It was fun. I, no, I like that. You know this this sort of thing with the split screen and sort of um, you know it's it's a little strange this season. It's a little different from from Fargo season one, which was a little more realistic, a little more literal. I think, but we're okay with that, um, right? Yeah, no, I'm I'm good with it. I know that we debated a little bit last week if we're digging the split screen a little bit, and I I, I like it. I I don't mind it at all. I think that it's interesting. I like seeing what multiple characters are doing at the same time. I think that it's a smart use of screen time, um, and I think that this kind of falls under that umbrella of just something that's a little experimental. Mm-hmm. I like seeing I like seeing them in this moment, seeing Ed, you know, kind of being just like staring off into space because he's got the whiplash and his neck hurts, and he's got this freaking neck brace on, and he's just mm-hmm. staring dead ahead and peggy's squeezing him because who knows what she's thinking is she thinking oh how am i gonna get out of this one or oh my poor husband you really don't know and i like that it's it's not split screen but it's split voice i don't know how you want to say it it's you know i like that you're getting two pieces of information there you're getting basically two scenes in one um i think that the that the season so far has been really good with the uh, the economy of time uh that they're allowed to have on a tv show and certainly fx shows can run really really long and I greatly appreciate just how much Fargo is able to pack into a 43 minute episode. When you look at like any episode from the final two seasons of Son of it, Sons of Anarchy, and it was like two hours apiece. Uh, so I, I'm all for the split screen. I'm all for scenes like this on the bus. I think it's good. Uh, more like this, please, FX, please. Yeah, and this was the least split screen heavy uh, episode of the three. And I think that, that that played out with these better, longer, tenser scenes. Uh, we had a couple of scenes like the one you know between Hank and Mike last week. We had a couple of them this week. And I just think the show plays a little better for that. We got the split screen a lot at the beginning where we were seeing all the characters and kind of placing them with a, this is a true story. We had that great sound cue, Josh, that you sent me along earlier today. Um, the ya- What was it? Was it Yama Yama? What was the name of this song? Yeah, Yama I think Yama. that's what it was. Yeah, that was really good. Um, and so that... I I think stylistically that played really well because it was the beginning of the show and then we didn't get as much of it throughout the rest of the episode and I thought that worked really well and I thought that was an interesting technique here with the two of them kind of talking but not talking they're in a relationship so I wasn't sure if we were meant to assume that that conversation was nonverbal uh, and it just was represented how the two were relating to each other and they understood each other on that level or if we were meant to think that that had happened at a previous time and we were just hearing the the results of it either way i think it worked uh and like you said more like that more choices like that i think i love that sound cue i i listened to jefferson's soundtrack um with the original score uh on it's on spotify but that track isn't on i think it's new to season two i'm not sure if that's jeff's own music but that's it's really i love that um that particular sound cue that plays while they're in the the bus it's uh very 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 beautiful yeah no the music's been great this season it's all been all been really fun stuff all right now it's feast on asphalt 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> with Alton Brown. Uh, no Alton Brown. Let's, let's okay. do it with, let's do it, let's do it with Dodd Gerhardt. I was going to say, okay, so if this is my first thing I have for you guys, would you guys, if, I mean, obviously he knew, Skip had to know what was going to happen. Would you guys do what he did and just stand there in there? I mean, why not at least run for it or charge him or something? I mean, sure, you're probably going to die, but you, you really, that's how you want to die is get a bunch of asphalt thrown on top of you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I would do what you said, Jeremiah, but I don't, what about you, Josh? I'd probably just lie down in the thing. I'd just be like, yeah, just do it fast, please. <laughs> Please don't you, hurt wait a minute, wait a minute. You were laid yeah. down and just let them throw. I'm so craven. What do you want from me? That's why I asked because I knew <laughs> you knew that we could get a craven out of you. No, this is the yeah. thing. Like you, you got to nobody thinks that they're going to get asphalt dealt exactly. over them and die. You have to assume that it's not going to happen and that anything that you do to run away to not like let it happen is probably going to actually make it happen. So let's just play it cool here. I'm yeah, just going to do what the they bluff. say. <laughs> call the bluff. Yeah. They're not really going to cover me in asphalt and murder me, are they? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, it is not that ridiculous, unfortunately, for Mr. Skip. Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, it it te- it does not work out well for Skip. He has no useful information for Dodd, so they just cover him in the stuff. And his tie, as you mentioned earlier, Jeremiah, is sticking out. So that's obviously uh, Chekhov's asphalt tie. Yeah, and by the way, that, that's coming back. I'm not sure exactly. We don't know exactly for sure where they're at. I think, but. Don't you think somebody's going to find it really odd that there's a big pile of asphalt just there like that? It's a little, well, what's, a little what's reckless, weird about that this? is in view of in an ear shot and everything of the police of of specifically of Lou, uh, he comes out to the porch. Uh, his name, Charlie. I always forget the son, bear son's name. Charlie, yeah. Charlie comes out to the porch and said, Dodd, Hansy's on the phone for you. He says it's urgent. He wants you to come to the dig immediately. So okay. he references the spot where they go to in front of Lou, and he references <laughs> the people that are involved. So it's like I'm pretty sure that if Lou does remember that, he's going to be able to put two and two together. Yeah, there's a lot. I think people on Reddit and everywhere are, are convinced, of course, that because that we saw the tie sticking up a little bit, that somebody's going to find poor Skip underneath all that asphalt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a great connection that Lou hears them say the dig. Mm-hmm. And if somehow he's able to find out where the dig is, right. he's going to look at that tie. Uh, and it's going to it's he he's seen the guy. before. Yeah, he's so seen he, the guy before. He'll probably remember something about it. And regardless, just the fact that the tie sticking up at all is reason enough to dig it up. If you're suspicious um, of something. One other thing from the scene is how much of a jerk. That's all I wanted to say. God is to his daughter. What a horrible person he is to his daughter. Yeah, he sucks. He sucks. He's horrible. It's going to be great when he gets stuffed in the meat grinder. That's going to be a great Yeah, he's He's obviously abusive, abusive jerk. He's not only abusive, he's saying, like, I wanted boys. Like, yeah, I he's awful. Effing hate. Dumb. Yeah. He's, he's, he's awful. You're supposed hate, to hate him. I hate him, too. You're obviously supposed to hate him. I, I do think that he is good for the story. I think it's good to have this guy who's clearly just going to blow up this whole situation. Uh, he is obviously going to screw things up here with, uh, with the Gerhardt situation versus Kansas City. He's going to really mess this thing up. He's going to bite some bullets at some point, and it'll be great. But I think that you need that guy who's just going to push this thing into overdrive. I think that that's what we want out of Fargo. You know who's really going to lose out, though, in the death of Skip, though, is the poor townsfolk there in Fargo are never going to get those new typewriters he was promising. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna miss those for a few years until computers happen. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I don't, I like that. I like that he, Skip is all like, oh yeah, the new, the, well, the, the reopening, you know, like he's just so obviously like just a sad sack down in his luck, whatever. Uh, and this is not the guy you kill. He literally doesn't know anything like, and that is why he yeah. dies. Cause he's just annoying to Dodd. There's no and sense I, in killing this poor guy. This is the thing though. Dodd is like, that is an irresponsible act. The tie is sticking up. All of it is bad. I actually don't think that that's Chekhov's tie. I I'm happy to be wrong about that. I, I think that that was a style, a stylistic shot and that's it. I don't think we're going to get more of that. Okay. Um, but what I will say is, I, how much of a badass must Otto Otto uh, Gerhardt have been to keep Dodd in line? Because mm. when we first meet Dodd, he's telling a story to a guy who's he's been bracing and torturing, whose ears he cut off, and now the guy is dead. And was, did Dodd not want him to be dead? I don't know how much of a badass must Otto have been to keep Dodd and the whole family in line. Because now that we've seen him, Dodd seems to be going off the rails and quick. But I realize that like death has come to their town, that Kansas city's knocking on the door and they think there's going to be a war and Dodd's just armed for ready to do whatever, but he doesn't seem to be the swiftest guy. And he seems to be very headstrong and he seems to be like the kind of guy that would cause a lot of problems. Uh, right. And so if he was kept in line when Otto was healthy, Otto must've been a pretty stern fist. Well, he was, yeah. he was, <laughs> he was compared to with Hitler. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's Dodd and Otto obviously would have been, you know, like Jeremiah, you just said, like a Hitler type. Uh, and that's fine. Um, but here's my question. So we know that Gerhardt's, uh, are the family kind of in charge of Fargo during the context of this season. In season one, there was a different syndicate in Fargo. There is a lot of speculation online, a lot, a lot that the mafia boss, if you will, from season one, the guy who eats the fish and is constantly having his mouth full of food is Bear Gerhardt. Are you guys Ooh. buying that? Hmm. I'd have to go back and watch that, uh, yeah. which I absolutely will do before the next episode of Fargo season two. Uh, I like that. I mean, that dude loved I, to eat. Yeah, I like that too. I'll have to go back and watch it myself. Well, do you remember which episode that was in season one? I don't. He's in a cut. Well, he's only really in one. He's in a second episode when when uh, Lauren Malvo kind of goes madman and destroys the whole crew. Right. Uh, but I don't remember when the first the, the episode begins with that fish. We follow the fish. We see the fish. It's the episode right after uh, Numbers and Wrench have put somebody in the water. Uh, mm -hmm. And I can't remember um, who that was that they put in the water, but they did. They put somebody in the water, and then we, we the next episode begins with the fish. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this fish gonna have like a finger in it or something and that because it was out of the water or whatever but no we meet this weird boss there's an australian guy in the crew the crew is really weird the guy does seem to have a little bit of some kind of foreign accent uh he has a very unique voice he's credited with the name mr tripoli uh-huh but I don't know. That could be anything. That it doesn't mean that it's not bear. I I don't know. I think this is people trying to make these connections on the internet. I don't know if there's any legitimacy to it, but I think it is interesting, and I think it's worth talking about here. No, I like that. Yeah, That'd be fun. I like That'd it. I mean, fun. I'm starting to think it might be fan fiction, but I do like it though. It, I it love could, fan fiction. Yeah, absolutely. It's always the best. Hey, Fargo fan fiction works for me. <laughs> uh, anything else from the episode, Jeremiah? Uh, my last thing away? for you guys is. 
All right, so let's start speculating. Who do we think is going to figure out the the fate of Rye first? Do you think it's going to be uh, Lou and Hank? Do you think it's going to be the KC guys? Or do you think it's going to be the Garrett family? What do you think? I have a strong opinion. And uh, Josh, I, if you don't mind, I'll go first. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think it's going to be Hansy. I mean, I yeah, think that's... Yeah, no, I, I share your strong That's why I wanted to let you go first. Mm-hmm. Why don't you think the credit? I really do think it'll be Hansy. I think that we got that little bit of him uh, tracking uh, in out of the forest. The, the 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 rabbit and I think he's been specifically instructed at the end of this episode by Dodd find Rye at all costs I don't care if you have to kill people I don't care what you have to do figure this out and get him and I really do think that's where we're heading I think he's going to make the link uh, to Ed and Peggy I don't know exactly how that he's going to make that link I don't know if he's going to do a little crime scene work I don't know if he's going to do some tracking I don't know how he's going to figure it out but I got I got money on my boy Hansy figuring it out yeah I, I feel good about that too if only because I feel like the the very quiet Hansy Dent versus the awkwardly talkative Peggy and Ed scene it's just like you can see it playing out yeah it's perfect like just to see that guy going up against like very uncomfortable Jesse Plemons feels like it writes itself so I I I totally back that I think that that's where we're going all right well I'm gonna agree with you guys so sounds good so that's good I like that all right Antonio any final takes any more hot takes no. Any more flags to plan or are you all out of flags? No, I'm pretty much all out of flags. That Those are some of my big flags, and I really just – I do think Peggy's going to end up trying to kill Constance. I think that – I personally think she was already planning it when she got in there because I think Peggy is is a dumb criminal, but she's not dumb enough to not know that Constance did see the car how it was. And she was probably already planning to tie up that loose end, but now that she knows she has to tie it up, I really do think that she's going to go after that. So I think so too. We'll see how it all falls apart for her in that regard will she bring in ed we talked about that we don't know but i really think that that that's going to come up and then i don't know did you guys want to vote on who the true detective was this week <laughs> oh, <laughs> scott alexander asked that we do that on our page at post show oh, oh. it's a different podcast different podcast who's the true detective this week lou salverson for sure of course yeah yeah lou's putting it all together lou had not even met milligan in the kitchen brothers he'd only seen them uh-huh. in passing but he knew who they were right away he knew it he knew who they were right away all right guys well let's wrap it up for this week episode three of season two of fargo is in the books next week is episode four it is called fear and trembling so it's not loathing so i guess we're not going to las vegas uh fear and trembling in farg vegas doesn't have quite the same ring to it uh but that's where we're going next week follow these guys on twitter jeremiah's at j panhorse and teddy was at ac mazzaro two z's one r i'm at round howard gonna go ahead and say the hashtag this week is two pizza day the digit two two pizza day that's the kind of day it's been all right and that's gonna do it for us here on the fargo podcast take care everybody we will see y'all next week bye guys